every family has its own traditions when it comes to gift giving. I remember when Marsh and I first got married over 43 years ago, we were living in a little apartment and uh, couldn't really afford much at that time, so we bought us a little three-foot Christmas tree and put it on a table and didn't have any ornaments to put on it, so we actually used the, the bows that came from the wedding presents that we had and decorated the tree in all those white bows. It's actually pretty nice. And uh, for stockings, somebody had given us a bride and groom pillowcases, so that became our stockings. And we went ahead and put all the gifts that we were gonna give to each other in those stockings. And again, because we didn't have a lot of resources, we decided we'd just go ahead and buy things we were gonna buy anyway. So I got shaving cream that Christmas and deodorant, some of those other things, and Marsh got uh, some of the same type of things, and we wrapped each present uh, very thickly with uh, a newspaper, and it's amazing. You, you can fill up a pillowcase pretty quick if you put enough newspaper around whatever gift that you're giving. Well, as time has gone on, and we have different traditions now, uh, we actually, uh, over the years, have learned that we're not that great at picking out gifts for our grandkids as they get older, their, their uh, wishes and their desires change so much that we just say to our children and to our grandchildren, you tell us what you want. Give us the serial number, give us the <laughs> internet site. And so then we, we buy them. Of course, we give them limits, but we go ahead and do that. And Marsha's job is to get all that stuff together. My job is to wrap all those presents. And I just started a new Christmas tradition this year. It's called bags best thing ever happened to me on Christmas. And so all that's ready. I actually know of a family, though, uh, in our church, and the way they've handled all this is that they say to their children and their grandchildren, uh, here's a check for you for Christmas. This is the amount you get. You go buy your own presents, take them home and wrap them, and deliver them to our home, and then on Christmas morning when you open them up, act surprised. <laughs> I think that's a great plan, really is. Uh, and then other folks have just decided, you know, the gifts kind of get in the way of everything that we're doing, and we're just not going to give gifts anymore. We're just going to spend the time together. I don't really think there's probably a bad tradition, although I will say this, that sometimes this whole gift-giving thing could get out of hand if you're not careful. Uh, some of you have heard recently this last week about Emma Tapping, who bought 300 presents for her family and put them under the tree. You can barely see the top of the tree in this photograph that was probably a little excessive, perhaps. But even with what Emma Tapping spent on Christmas for her family this year, it's nothing compared to the cost of that first Christmas. And I want us to take a, just a little bit of time here before we get into the middle of this Christmas season, just to stop as followers of Christ and to consider once again the cost of that first Christmas to look at a story that is so very familiar that it can become uh, too common to us. And so I'm gonna ask that you just pray a little prayer in your heart right now. And just say, God, help me see that first Christmas in a new light. Would you do that? Just pray that prayer. As we look at Matthew, the first chapter, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name 
Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, or by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. That very first Christmas, Mary and Joseph paid a very high price. They were getting ready for a wedding. I don't know if you've done that recently. I remember back when uh, my two girls got ready for their weddings. You know, if you had 10 kids, they'd all be different, wouldn't they? And Rachel decided she wanted to have a destination wedding. She just wanted the family and just a few close friends around. And Lydia, on the other hand, I had trouble getting her to narrow down the list. And finally, she narrowed it down to the zip codes of 75087-75032. And it was a wonderful time as they were anticipating that day that they had looked forward to all of their life. They went to, of course, the bookstores, and they got all those magazines, all those bride magazines, Modern Bride, Elegant Bride, Dallas Bride. All those bride books, by the way, are the size of a phone book. It's been suggested that next time we have a hurricane, if we'll just take all the bride books and put them at the levees that we won't have any trouble with flooding anymore. Did you notice, though, they never have made a magazine called Modern Groom? Did you notice that? And the reason is, is that grooms at a wedding are like bathrooms at a movie theater. They're necessary, but nobody comes to see them. (laughs) But Mary was like every other young lady. And all of her life, she had looked forward to her special day, to her wedding day. On one day, she was looking forward and preparing for that day. And the next day, she had a pregnancy that she had not expected. And she was an unwed mother in a society where the punishment for that was stoning. Can you imagine? Notice what happens when the announcement is made to her. In Luke, the first chapter in verse 28, it says, and the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. When the angel came to Mary in preparation to tell her about this change that was going to happen in her life, it says not just that she was troubled, it says that she was greatly troubled. And the reason she was troubled is because of the greeting that she had. She was told that she was highly favored of God and then she was told the Lord is with you. Now, Mary knew her Old Testament story. She knew that this was the same greeting that Gideon received when he was told to go out and to fight the barbaric Midianites all by himself with just a handful of soldiers. The Lord said, the Lord is with you. He knew that this was the same greeting that Abraham received when Abraham was asked to leave the comfort of his family and his friends and his hometown and go out to a place and God wasn't even going to tell him where he was taking him. But the Lord said, The Lord is with you. He knew this was the greeting that Moses received in the comfort of the solitude of the desert when God called him to confront the greatest power of that day, Pharaoh, and then to manage a congregation of three million people through the wilderness. But God said, the Lord is with you. 
And so when she heard that familiar phrase, it greatly troubled her. She knew that God didn't say that to people unless they needed to be reassured because they were being asked to do the impossible. And Mary was being asked to do the impossible and he said, the Lord is with you. Notice her response though in Luke, the first chapter in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done according to me to your word and the angel departed from her. Now the word there, bond slave, there's a couple of words that she could have chosen. There's one word that she could have used, which is deaconos, which means indentured servant. Where someone for a short period of time would choose to serve another in order to pay off a debt. That's not the word that she chose. She chose the word doulos, which means slave. For life, under the complete control of the master. When asked to do the impossible, when asked to pay a high price because it was the Lord that asked her to do so, she said, be it done unto me according to your word. And Joseph paid a high price as well. The Bible tells us there in Matthew, the first chapter, verse 19, that we've already read that Joseph was a righteous man. In other words, he was a rule keeper in a good sense of what that means. You would never catch Joseph going out to eat a ham sandwich back behind the house. And neither would he open up his carpenter shop on the Shabbat day just to make some extra money. He'd gone to great lengths his entire life. He'd paid a high price to be the kind of person that God would smile on, that God perhaps would bless. And then he finds out that his fiance is pregnant. We're not told in the scripture how he found that out. But we do know that Mary was the only one who knew at this time that that was happening. And so Mary had to have that conversation with him. Can you imagine what that was like for Mary? What it was like for Joseph. That was a painful conversation. That was a conversation that had a high price tag on it. The scripture tells us there in verse 19 that he decided that being a righteous man that he would do that which would be less costly to Mary and so he would just divorce her privately. He would just put her away quietly. And that he would let go of his plan to spend the rest of his life with the girl that he had chosen. And then the angel appeared to him there in verse 20 and it says that he then made a courageous decision to share in her pain. To stand next to this young lady and with her baby, even though he knew the cost. Social suicide. No one would believe them. Everyone would think what everyone thinks when an unwed teenager gets pregnant. And yet he was willing to have his reputation that he had spent a lifetime acquiring in one day to be utterly and completely crushed. He and his extended family will be relegated to a second class citizens in that small town of Nazareth. Nazareth, it would affect everything for the rest of his life. It would affect his relationships at church. The relationships that he had had with close friends. Certainly it would affect his business as everyone thought that there was something wrong with the way that he had gone about his business and how could they trust him in any other way. 
It even affected his relationship with his family as they went off to Bethlehem to have the baby and then found out that all the young babies in that area would be killed and they had to flee to Egypt and the very people who stood by them, the very few people who would give them support, they could not even be around for a couple of years. They were all by themselves. And that was just a part of the price that they would pay. It didn't end there. Mary, we find at the crucifixion of Christ, there watching her son be humiliated and treated as a common criminal, being hung naked in front of the crowds, abuse being hurled at him. Once again, another payment, another price to follow God. Maybe that's why Jesus had such compassion for those who were outcast and who were rejected, people like the poor and the lepers. Scripture tells us about uh, time and recorded in John the eighth chapter, and you know the story, most of you do, when the woman was caught in adultery and she was brought before Jesus and thrown down into the dirt. And they were trying to test Jesus and they said, the scripture says that this woman ought to be stoned, what do you say? They were trying to get him in a trap. You remember that? The Bible tells us that that particular day that Jesus knelt down and he began to doodle in the dirt. Now that's interesting that that would be included in the Bible because it does not tell us what he wrote in the dirt. And for 2,000 years people have been debating what Jesus wrote in the dirt that day when this woman who was caught in adultery was brought before him. There are some people who think that all he did was just doodle. That he was trying to gain his composure before he spoke. There are others though, and I like this one, who think that he wrote the Ten Commandments in the dirt and every time he wrote a commandment he would look up at one of the men that had a stone in his hand and he'd grin at him. Someone who had violated that particular commandment to remind them, let the one without sin cast the first stone. But it occurred to me this week as I thought about the price that Jesus and his family paid that maybe that day that what he wrote in the dirt, maybe he wrote, Mom. Because you see, they could have drug his mother out and killed her. For she was accused of the same crime that this woman was accused of. And maybe that's why he looked at this lady and he saw maybe in her face, the face of how his mom would have been treated unfairly but treated the same nevertheless. And he said, who are the people who condemn you? Where are they? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Maybe that's why he had the compassion that he had for those who were perceived as notorious sinners because that's how his mom and his dad were perceived. All of their life, they paid a great price. But nobody paid the price, of course, that Jesus Christ paid. Now, I know you know that. It's not a newsflash for anyone here, but here's what I'm asking of you today. Before you run out to all your parties and before you open all those gifts, before you eat all that food or go see all those bright, twinkling lights, would you just pause for a moment? Would you reflect to me about the price tag on that very first Christmas? The people who keep up with things tell us that the average person will spend $830 for Christmas this year buying their presents and all the things associated with it. 
Nothing compared to what Jesus paid from the cradle all the way to the cross. He was born into a poor family, into an oppressed nation. It was years ago that I was in Cuba right before the Christmas season. In fact, just a week before Christmas. And I thought back about that this week because I remember being there and you really couldn't see that Christmas was going on in the public square because it was communist Cuba. You only really remembered that it was Christmas when you went into one of those little homes and they had their little decoration there or they had the little handmade nativities that they had there. And I thought about the fact that Jesus was born into one of those homes, a home of poverty. And it was in the midst of a, a people who were being oppressed. We were there for less than 48 hours and stopped no less than four times. I remember one time I was stopped, I was asked to take my billfold, empty the contents of my billfold out. And I thought, you can't do that. And then I thought, oh, yes, you can. We're not in the U.S. anymore. That's the society that Jesus Christ lived in and grew up in. The persecution that he received not only from his own people, but from the people who controlled his people. And then the cross. All of his life, he knew that that's where his life was headed. Told his disciples, although they didn't understand at times, that he was headed for a cross where not only would he go through the physical pain that was a part of that procedure of execution, but he would be forsaken by his disciples. He would be separated from his God. And he would literally go through hell with the guilt and the shame of the entire world on his head. That's what Jesus Christ paid that very first Christmas. Sometimes when we open Christmas gifts, uh, our response is kind of neutral. We look at the gift and we say, well, that's nice. I'm glad they did that. I, I could possibly use that. There are other times that we open up a gift and we think, what in the world were they thinking? And we're looking, searching in the tissue paper for a gift receipt. But every once in a while, every once in a while, you open up a gift and you're shocked at the extravagance. You're almost embarrassed that somebody would go to that sacrifice in order to express their love for you. And sometimes it's not something that's bought in the store. Sometimes it's hours and hours that someone has lovingly crafted something for you and it overwhelms you, the extravagance of the gift. My prayer is that this Christmas that you would be overwhelmed, that you would be in awe that the God of the universe stooped low, that he was born in a horse trough, and that he was misunderstand, misunderstood and accused of things that he would never imagine doing, and that he died on a cross to pay a price for what Paul describes as the indescribable gift. There in Matthew, the 24, Third verse, Matthew 1, 23. It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. What do you want for Christmas this year? Have you told Santa? Have you told the people who are buying gifts for you? I don't know what you want this Christmas, but I know what we all need. We need Emmanuel. 
We need God with us. We live in a fallen world and sometimes it gets pretty tough. Sometimes it gets pretty lonely. We need to know that somebody is for us. We need to know that someone is with us. And those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we will leave this place today and we will get in our cars and we will drive to the mall or we will drive home or we will go to lunch. And here's what we will know, that no matter where we go, that we have an advocate. The God of the universe is with us. And in our highest victories and in our lowest defeats, we will know that God is with us. And we will know that one day this life as we know it will end and we will breathe our last breath and the moment we do, that God will be with us. And then we'll go to be with him forever. That's a pretty cool gift. It's an expensive gift. Let's thank God for paying the price. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the indescribable gift that Jesus paid for. I thank you for the humble Mary and the righteous Joseph, who were willing to share in that cost, and although their cost was not as great as the one that Jesus paid, that they willingly paid it, and that we are the recipients, and that we have benefited from it. I pray for those who are here today who have never received that gift, a gift that was paid for and has their name on it. I thank you, God, that when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 plus years ago, that he knew who would be here this very day and that he died so that God could be with them. With our heads bowed right now and our eyes closed, I wonder if you're here today and maybe for the very first time you realized that you are deeply loved by God and that Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you could be with God forever. Now, I know you know the story, but have you received the gift? And if you haven't, I want to give you an opportunity right before this Christmas to receive the gift. Just pray this simple prayer, and the Bible says that Jesus will save you. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sin. Come into my life right now. I receive the gift. Please take control of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.